This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. And with Rebecca Ford. Hi. David Canfield is off on vacation. How dare he? Um, but he left us with a very handy primer to Emmy <laughs> season. Uh, he did his uh, he did his work ahead of time. Uh, and it's helpful because we're going to talk about Emmy season. I think we promised this last week as we looked ahead to the coming Oscar year. But uh, Emmys are really and truly upon us. It's spring TV season. A lot of the big shows that will be competing at the Emmys have already premiered, like The Bear, all the way last summer. Uh, but there's a lot of new stuff coming up on the horizon, too. Uh, and two of them premiered this past weekend. Um, and Richard, as our um, designated... Uh, recapper of succession on still watching um you know you can tell us more about latest what the roys are up to so we'll get into emmy season and maybe go ahead and start with succession actually it's back uh there's one episode out as we record this richard i guess you are one of the lucky reviewers who's seen four and you have to try not to lord that over the rest of us I have seen a whole month's worth of succession, um, but I'm sworn to secrecy about pretty much everything. Um, but I think as people saw on Sunday night, like, it's back in full form. Yeah. You know, like, it's just as entertaining, just as clever. I mean, I know us in the media perhaps focused a little too much on the whole, the hundred of it all. <laughs> that was uh, sort of mocking Semaphore and other sort of recent, you know, VC-backed editorial startups as representatives of old media uh, we we enjoy any chance to dunk on new media <laughs> well i started a new media then i switched to old media mm-hmm. and here i will stay mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're like uh, the roy children they started with the hunter then they That's pivoted right. back to the fictional version of the new york times yeah. But anyway, you know, the performances are great. I think that's something that David uh, interestingly pointed out in his piece about like these big Emmy questions is that the voting system is going to be different this year. So between Succession, White Lotus, we might not see eight actors from each show nominated because the voters have to be a little more discriminating about how many about who they put on their ballots. Uh-huh. But like, it's really hard to look at Succession and those kids and, and Logan himself and be like, and not even just the kids, but like the ancillary, you know, the Gregs and Toms of it all. Like, who do you pick? And based on what I've seen, I think I have some ideas, but I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, I'm so curious who gets to really, like, go all out and have those moments this season, because it's going to be impossible to pick. There's so many strong performers. And, you know, you sort of assume that Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong will be sort of leading that list. But I'm excited to see some of the others really have moments this this last and final season. But I guess the big question is, because this is the final season... I just just looking at Twitter this morning last night, like when Succession aired, like 
Sarah Snook, everyone's just kind of champing at the bit. But then you have White Lotus kind of standing big time in her, and Jennifer uh, Coolidge standing in her way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious how these two HBO juggernauts, one of which will have aired many, many months prior to the Emmys, um, and even the voting, I'm curious how they're going to square off against each other. Looks like Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong have competed against each other in mm-hmm. uh, okay. lead actor. And Jeremy Strong won once in 2020, and then they both lost to Lee Jung Jae from Squid Game last year. Um, and then Bob Odenkirk still hanging in there, waiting for anyone to give him a dang Emmy, which, um, <laughs> I, I, again, something people are champing at the bit for, as you mentioned, Rebecca. Um, David's thing about the supporting actors, I think, is worth diving into a little bit, because if you remember, um, I think it was last year, like every major actor on the first season of The White Lotus got a nomination. And the reason this happened is because the Emmy ballot worked in this crazy way where you could write down as many actors as you wanted per category. So if you love The White Lotus and you feel like you don't have to fill in the seven or eight slots, which is how many will wind up actually being nominated. You just have to go down the list. Um, And now they have made it so you can only nominate as many people as will actually fit into that category, which is how the Oscars work, which is how most other things work, as far as I know. <laughs> um, it's such a quirky rule that I never, really never would have known it if David hadn't pointed it out. But it does really um, you make for something like Succession or White Lotus, as we mentioned, where there's so much competition, especially in those supporting categories. Like it could get, it could get kind of a bloodbath getting in that competition. Yeah, I felt like last year it looked sort of insane, and and you want a performance from a show that maybe isn't as beloved. But the performance is outstanding to have a chance, you know, so I'm glad they changed it. I thought that was an insane way to do those nominations. Yeah. So last year at the Emmys for Succession, uh, Matthew McFadden wins an Emmy for playing Tom. Um, You have nominations for Jeremy Strong, Brian Cox, uh, Nicholas Braun, Kieran Culkin, J. Smith Cameron, Sarah Snook. I think that might be everybody. Um, I mean, do you think that... This is going to be one of those Emmy things where they just want to give something to Matthew McFadden again and again, or are they going to start spreading the wealth? Or is it all just going to be uh, moot because the White Lotus is going to swoop in with everything? Well, I feel like Richard would know more than we do since he's seen who he's gets not the, allowed to say. the meaty performances. <laughs> but uh, I feel like they're going to spread the wealth. I I would I had always been hopeful for Kieran Culkin to get a win because I think he does such amazing things with this character, and I, I hope he has a lot to do this season. But, yeah, I also think... The story arc for Matthew's character is a little different this season. I don't know from what we've seen in the first episode. So I, th- I feel like it go, could go any way with that supporting group. It's so competitive. I mean, you look at the scene between Shiv and Tom in their apartment mm. as they kind mm-hmm. of discuss the dissolution mm-hmm. of their marriage. And it's like, and that's a rare moment of some vulnerability and like sensitivity being shown between characters on the show. And that alone, it's like, okay, so those two are the, really the standouts. But then... You know, again, without spoiling anything, there is an episode coming up where everyone gets a moment that is worthy of an Emmy clip reel thing, you know, and it's a tough one. But and I really think that they have the benefit. I believe that the show will be over definitely before Emmy voting has to happen. So, like, people will have a clear picture of because I think what a certain number of episodes have to have aired before the cutoff, right? But all of Succession will have aired. So, yeah, I think I think it ends Memorial Day weekend sometime around then. Oh, okay. So they, yeah, they'll be, they'll be right under the wire, and then they'll vote, I guess, in July or whatever. And um, yeah, so I I I don't know how the sh- the season ends, or the, when, therefore the how the show ends. Um, so hope maybe someone will emerge clearly, like the the kind of story favorite. I guess maybe the question that Chris and I talk about each week on the on the on still watching is maybe the person who wins the Emmy is the kid or whoever else gets on top of the Waystar Royco throne at the end. Whoever makes it to the Iron Throne, the <laughs> brand of Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm firmly in the record of saying that I don't think any of the kids are going to get to the top of the throne. Like, I think that would be too satisfying an ending for all of them <laughs> for the tone of this show. I predicted Frank just as like a random uh, lackey. Uh, I don't know if any if any of the rest of you have firm predictions on this. I did Connor Roy because he doesn't want it. Yes, I think he's going to win the presidency, um, <laughs> but I don't think that there will be a, a Waystar Royco throne at all. I think I think they're going to somehow destroy it in the process of fighting for it. I don't want you to tell me, Richard, because you may have seen this far, but I really hope he gets married at the foot of the Statue of Liberty with a bunch of fireworks. <laughs> I love how deranged that idea was. He proposed to poor Willa, who's just got along with everything thus far for, I guess, some gain she has in mind at the end of it. I don't know what it is. I can't say anything. More predictions of sands, I guess, with fewer sand fleas. Um, we should note that, you know, when it comes to the Best Drama Series Emmy, um, which Succession has won before also, uh, HBO is really competing with itself in this category. Uh, the White Lotus is now a drama because Jennifer Coolidge carried over season to season. And maybe we can talk about how weird a rule that makes it. Um, and then The Last of Us and House of the Dragon, I think everyone agrees, are really likely nominees in that category. I think White Lotus is the only one I can imagine beating Succession there. And you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. But um I think we tried to crunch the numbers on this and a listener can tell us if we're wrong. But for one network to get four drama series nominations is basically unheard of. And I think a lot of people at HBO are kind of wondering if they really can pull it off. Yeah. I mean, obviously, USA did it in the famous Suits, Burn Notice, uh, (laughs) White Collar, Monk here. Um, No, that didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, Yeah, that would be crazy. But then the the question becomes campaign money and where you do even bother. Like, do you need to if you're just competing with yourself and like one other show? Um, There's also, I mean, I don't know if it'll really register, but like Perry Mason is coming back for unexpected second season. And, you know, there is other stuff in the pipeline. I would almost wonder, and this is a question that David addresses in his piece, if the bear, they decided to run it as a drama, which it kind of is even though it's a half hour or whatever. Like, would that kind of be the underdog thing to kind of, all the HBO shows cancel each other out and this like hot new thing kind of, you know, takes the crowd. I don't know. It's not going to happen though because they've decided the Barry's a comedy. I mean, if Barry's a comedy, then the Bear's a comedy, I guess right. is yeah. where we land this. Like two of the most stressful television shows I've ever seen. I mean, do we want to talk about comedy then? Because the the Bear is sort of at the top of that pile, but it's also a really interesting set of competitors. I mean, Ted Lasso is another show that has recently returned, like Succession, and I want to talk about Yellow Jackets later also. But is it just me, or is the is the Ted Lasso wave much, much quieter than it's been in previous years? It definitely feels more mixed. I mean, we can't forget that it won for the first two seasons, so it's technically undefeated yeah. <laughs> in, its, in, in this category. For So I, I would never count it out, and... It sounds like, you know, a lot of the cast does a lot of press. And I, I from what I understand, Sudeikis is going to be doing quite a bit as well. So because the second season was a little more mixed as well. And I was like, oh, maybe it's not going to win. And it did. So, yeah, especially because the messaging is this is its final season, supposedly. Maybe not. But, you know, with that messaging, I think that gives it a boost as well. So it to me, it feels kind of like a three way race if we're looking at Lasso, the Bear and Abbott Elementary. So, yeah. Um, and and super competitive. So I think it's a really interesting group. And that would make it, I know the bear is mostly just like on Hulu, right? But that, that would be a basic cable show, a network show and a streaming show, you know, so they're, yeah. they're getting a spread mm-hmm. of how TV is watched, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Ted Lasso and anything else really is that the obviously Emmy voters famously just like give into inertia. If it won for season two, shouldn't it win for season three? You know, like, well, and then eventually that stops. You know, I don't think any shows won for every season it's been on the air. But like, 
I don't know, a Ted Lasso, yeah, has cooled a bit, I think, just because people are more used to it. It's not the new special thing, but that might not say anything about the Academy voters. Yeah. A show that I'm very curious about as a sort of insurgent comedy would be um, a show that's not out yet called Beef that's going to be on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, which Stephen Yun, Ali Wong, it's, again, it is a comedy, but it's also dark and about, you know, anger and other sort of violent impulse. And and um, I don't know, that feels like it's an A24 show that's going to be on Netflix. I feel like that could be buzzy. And, you know, if people are looking for the new kid on the block to give awards to, that could be it. Yeah, I loved Beef. I think it's really well done. It's, again, it's kind of like, are they, are voters going to go with these dark comedies or are they going to do something more like a Ted Lasso or an Abbott that's sort of a a lighter traditional comedy. I don't I don't know which way they're gonna go, but I, I thought Beef was really incredible and is one of Netflix's like big pushes this year, which is worth noting. Well and the funny thing about like do they wanna give the comedy Emmy to a lighter thing or a darker thing, they kind of have the dark comedies in White Lotus and Succession, which are dramas, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. So they can kind of serve two impulses and give it to something like Abbott Elementary, which is more feel good and has been, you know, a, a absolute life raft for like the awards viability of network television. Yeah. Um, so maybe that they can kind of, why not both? You know, they can have uh, both uh, their cake and eat it too. And Abbott has won so many awards that... I th- I thought they may- would were going to probably take it last year, but this second season feels even stronger. It's obviously a longer season, and yeah, they just keep winning. It just feels like they have a really good chance. Yeah, Abbott was so new; you kind of forget it really only had a half season that first season because it premiered in December. So, like, it has had more time to build up steam. I, th- I guess it was at the Emmys last year when Quinta won for writing, and it was like, oh, okay, like I guess this is really happening. And then. As so often happens when we watch award shows, the momentum we're imagining in our heads is not actually playing out <laughs> on stage. So Jean Smart won the Comedy Actress Award last year, but she's not eligible this year. Hacks didn't come back in time, uh, partly because of Jean Smart's health. Um, so it's a really interesting open field. A lot of people on Gold Derby are uh, looking at Christina Applegate at the top of the field for Dead to Me, which is very interesting to me. I would have thought it'd be more Quinta Brunson, Jenna Ortega, um, maybe Natasha Leone, maybe Selena Gomez. There's some really good performances in there. Yeah, the Ortega thing is interesting. Um, Obviously, Wednesday was an enormous hit that I embarrassingly have not watched. Um, There's a dance, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Jenna Ortega also has a big smash hit movie in Scream 6. Um, So she's very much in the discourse. There also has been, of late, with Zendaya winning Emmys, younger actresses are winning like top acting prizes, you know, maybe it's different for a comedy versus a drama, but like, I don't know, I could see a clear path to Ortega, even if years ago, I would have been like, well, she's a shoe in for the Golden Globe. <laughs> and uh-huh, like, uh-huh. like kind of America for our Claire Danes years past. But um, yeah, I don't know, people love that show. So maybe Ortega is not one to, uh, to, to rank too low. Yeah. Um, yeah, David brought up Zendaya in his um, write-up in a really interesting way because Euphoria will not be eligible this year. Um, and he thought that meant that Melanie Linsky for Yellow Jackets had a clear path at the drama actress statue, which had not even occurred to me. I think a lot of us thought she might win last year because Yellow Jackets was so ascendant. Um, but then Zendaya wound up winning, I think, for the second time. Um, drama actress does feel less competitive than some of these other categories we've been talking about. But, you know, Bella Ramsey is right there for The Last of Us. If we think it's not necessarily going to win in drama series, maybe that's a place for it. Um, But I I think I'm letting myself get excited about the notion that Melanie Linsky might win for the second season of Yellow Jackets. Yeah, it's really a question of how that season is received. You know, I reviewed it. I saw six episodes. Again, I won't spoil anything. But um, it played a little much more unevenly for me Mm. than the first season did, um, which is 
to say nothing of the performances, which are still very strong. It's just there are so many of them, you know. And Blinsky is obviously in the adult storyline. This sort of, as my book editor once called about an ensemble novel, a first among equals, you know. Um, <laughs> and she gets that campaigning. Well, maybe a Tawny Cypress or a Juliette Lewis or a Christina Ricci would be put in the featured actress category. I'm not really sure how they're going to divide that up. But like, I think it's just really a matter of will Lightning, Yellow Jackets, like have that same lightning strike that the, the first season was such a sleeper hit. It kind of arrived without much fanfare and then grew a lot of esteem, you know, and attention by the end of its run. Um, if it can pull that off for a second season, which is really difficult, as many a show can tell you, um, I think Linsky, I think David's right that Linsky is in a really prime position. I do wonder if like Helen Mirren's really going to surge in this category because she's Helen Mirren and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I, 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 I agree this category isn't as cutthroat as I think it's been in years past. So there's a good chance for Linsky. And I think we're all sort of hoping that happens, but um, I could see a surprise happening here for sure. I feel like all of these actresses are very grateful that George and Tammy is not a uh, <laughs> continuing series, that it's just a one-off because uh, Chastain, who probably is also going to win a Tony in June, I think, God. for A Doll's House. Um, so Chastain will have, the- even if she doesn't win the Tony, she'll be nominated for sure. And um, she's definitely, I think, going to win for George and Tammy. She's already won a bunch of awards for it. And so maybe like in another year when White Lotus was still kind of cheating and being considered a a limited series, like there'd be more competition there. But because now these supposedly limited series, even like Last of Us have moved into just now nowhere normal TV, uh, that leaves Chastain's path, I think, pretty open. God, all she's going to need is the Grammy. Exactly. And she's going to do it. She's Jessica Chastain. It'll happen. I got a release today that Apple picked up a series starring her called The Savant based on a Cosmopolitan article. So I got to go look up what that's going to be. But uh, so mark her down for next year's Emmy race, I guess. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Should we talk about limited series since you mentioned George and Tammy? Because it also feels less cutthroat. I mean, it's been like the category in so many years past, and it feels a little bit less so this time. Yeah, what are we really looking at as like potential contenders? Well, there's the Jeffrey Dahmer story, which is a pleasant uh, diversion, which I have not watched. And I I know I should, but like, I think for all the obvious reasons, it's not like (laughs) the thing I'm jumping to watch. Um, But that's a, you know, I think it's the buzziest of all the shows in there. Yeah. yeah, there's Fleischman is in trouble. I feel like played really well. Feels like it was a long time ago now, but I think that'll be a, a real contender, especially with the actors that are in it. And then Blackbird did really well at the what award show was that? The Globes? I think that 
Taron Edgerton won a Globe and Paul Walter Hauser won a Critics' Choice or vice versa. Like, those shows were, like, three or four days apart. Yep. And I remember yep. that. I remember Blackbird being very prominent. And I think the same thing that, like, uh, Evan Peters won a Golden Globe and then Nisi Nash won a Critics' Choice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, it all gets mixed up in my head. But, yes, both of those shows um, felt very strong at those award shows. Like, Daisy Jones and the Six has premiered since then, and then Love and Death is on the horizon, the HBO show that's, um, you know, the same story as Candy. Last year, speaking of Melanie Linsky, um, the Texas axe murder. Um, But there's not anything super huge in that limited category on the horizon that I can tell that would compete with Blackbird and Dahmer and Flashman, I don't think. No, I mean, I guess the Dahmer thing for me is, like, didn't that come out last summer, you know? So did the bear. Is it too long? Exactly. And I I just, I always think that the, you know, the television academies... Mm -hmm institutional memory is as limited as mine is <laughs> um and it's it, that's time and time again you know proven wrong like they're perfectly happy to vote for something that aired a year ago and well the bear is going to have the advantage that the next season is going to start right around voting right isn't that the plan? yeah it's the doing the thing that only murders has also done and i think is doing again this summer really smart way to to boost your emmy voting when people are about to forget about your show so yeah Obviously, the limited series can't do that. I was curious about Swarm, but the reception seems very, very mixed on that one. So I don't know if that's going to be a real contender, which is the Donald Glover show. A lot of affection for Dominique Fishback, I feel like I've yes, seen Yes, great performance. Like maybe in, you know, performance for her. Yeah, and she's another actor who has, you know, she's younger on the younger side, but she's been simmering for a long time. She's pretty much good in everything I've seen her in. Um, and now this is this big lead role that's also pretty different from stuff she's played in the past and so and that mo- that show has had a lot of buzz mm-hmm. not always ha uh, pun um but not <laughs> not always in good buzz but like does that ultimately matter like it probably it's been received positively enough that any attention is good attention um, two shows we haven't mentioned thus far that have won a lot of Emmys in their past are The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is uh, returning for its final season, and The Crown, which we have watched and talked about a lot, but feels almost non-existent at this point. I mean, I think Elizabeth Debicki is a goddess among us, as we can all agree, but like the it's funny how the heat on that show seems to have really dissipated. Yeah. It is weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm think trying the, to think of the answer to that. I think problem. the issue is that the crown is just biding its time until the next and final season, because that's the one where Diana dies. I'm assuming, you know, and I think she's going to die early based on the timeline that the new season sets. I mean, no, they stretch things out though, you know, although did it end with them going to Paris? It ends with her like on the yacht. I think she was on the week before she went to Paris, like very close to that point. You don't think Peter Morgan can stretch a whole season of television (laughs) into a week, a week, week? you don't think he can do that? That yacht episode worked great for succession. So it's going to do a full season on the yacht. (laughs) The crown is a funny one. I mean, the crown in my mind, I mean, Ozark was sort of this, now it's, over but the crown really is like the one of the last remnants of like a different era of netflix yeah um that they haven't quite they just don't seem to be in the business of making as many prestige tv shows as they used to and the crown is this big expensive thing um yeah maybe the the taste for it has waned or or people are just biding their time until the final season but yeah it doesn't really feel like it's a big player this year for whatever reason yeah, I could see DeBecky getting in, but it feels like beyond that, it's a little bit of a strap. I mean, she was nominated for a SAG, so people are aware of the performance, certainly. 
Well, it's funny when you think of um, the shows that Netflix has really succeeded with at the Emmys in the last few years. Squid Game was this, you know, international pickup that no one really saw coming as an awards juggernaut. And now Wednesday is kind of poised to do the same thing. I mean, that came from Tim Burton. Like it had, uh, you know, more of a Hollywood pedigree behind it. But still. Um, and The Crown is one of those shows that I think is really hurt by the Netflix binge model where you don't get like to kind of chew over it week by week. Um, so you thinking of it as a, as a kind of a relic of another era feels spot on to me, Richard. Yeah, and actually, that's a good point about the bingey shows. You know, like a lot of what we've talked about, I mean, mostly because it's HBO dominating, is week to week, mm-hmm. you know? And so that year ago doesn't feel quite as long because you watched it over the span of two months versus like a show that premiered a year ago and all the episodes you watched in one weekend, like maybe it doesn't, you know, linger as much as the traditional model does. Yeah. I mean, maybe Beef will reverse some of that trajectory in terms of Netflix buzz. As, as you guys were saying, like it's it's from A24, who's really on top of the world right now. And it, it's different. It's a really hard to define kind of show. It's kind of more in the dark comedy line we've come to associate with HBO. That, that could be an interesting path forward for them. And in the form of Ali Wong, it's, you know, we've seen, we've, we've certainly seen Stephen Young like do dark stuff before he was on Walking Dead, for Christ's sake. But like Ali Wong is mostly known as, you know, she's in a couple comedy films. She has a lot of great stand up specials. And this is a totally different kind of turn for her. And that's mm-hmm. exciting. Um, that's maybe more of like an Oscar y narrative than it would be an Emmy one. But um, I don't know. There's probably precedent for that. And the supporting cast of Beef is also so good. I mean, it's you you recognize Maria Bello and, and Ashley Park, but there there's a whole group of actors that I think has really seen stealing moments. So I think I think Netflix is gonna really, really put their weight behind it and it'll be a, a real contender. Is there anything else still to come that we wanna flag for people? I think I mentioned that the you know, it doesn't seem like there's huge or like Barry's returning. Like that that's a big return. There's a couple of new things premiering. Is there like without giving away what we're not allowed to talk about, anything that we should flag for people? Um, Dead Ringers, the Amazon mm-hmm. show with mm-hmm. Rachel Weiss, which is I guess a series remake of the David Cronenberg film. This one has a lot of interesting talent, like in the writer's room and directing the show. I haven't seen any of it yet. Um, but like Rachel Weisz is a force to be reckoned with, certainly. Um, And uh, this feels like a big, splashy project. So I I would definitely put that on my radar if I were wondering what to watch this spring. Um, Well, I mentioned Barry returning. Uh, Schmigadoon is also returning, which is, uh, you know, one of those niche shows that I feel like is made for me and five other people who I know, but seems to be doing very well. And it's like Bob Fosse parody this season. Um, I think it won the original song Emmy, which, as we all know, is a category very near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, The Great is returning. Nicholas Holt and Elle Fanning are kind of unstoppable on that show. Um, There's a Bridgerton spinoff, Queen Charlotte, which I'm very intrigued by. I don't know if it's going to be the, like, big sensation like what Bridgerton was, but it could certainly be up there. Um, and then I've got my eye on Mrs. Davis, the like Damon Lindelof executive produced sci-fi nun robot show with Betty Gilpin. Uh, somehow all of those adjectives are going to fit together. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely fun stuff on there, but it feels, you know, last season, I think we were looking at April, May being like, look at these enormous limited series, like the staircase and under the banner of heaven that are all premiering at the end of the year. And they all, kind of failed to capture the buzz that was um, put upon them. So maybe kind of flying a little bit more under the radar with potential to surprise is a is a stronger way to go in. 
Oh, and speaking of sort of under the radar, American Born Chinese is is a Disney Plus show, which puts it under the radar for us. But it's with Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu and Ki Hoi Kwan. Who now, where have I heard those names before? <laughs> <laughs> which we're all very familiar with at this point. I don't know if, the, if, if they're really going to push it as a contender, but, you know, it feels like I wouldn't mind seeing them again for Emmy season. So yeah. I'm curious to check that out. Too. I feel like they deserve a break, though. <laughs> I want them to go on a long vacation before anyone makes them go to an Emmy event. No, you got to strike while the iron's hot, people. Just, oh, my God. Just keep going. Keep going. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Well, as one last challenge to all of our long-term memories, is there anything that you hope remains top of mind for people, even if it is a little bit older, um, maybe not as old of the, as the bear, but... Um, you know, that that you want to, to continue to be a competitor this season? I really loved the first season of Somebody Somewhere, and it didn't do well with its first season. The Emmys didn't get any nominations, but I think Bridget Everett is doing something really special with that show. So I, I hope maybe voters pay a little more attention with season two. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Christina Applegate, Katie, already, but like... I think Dead to Me was a hit on Netflix um, and Applegate has obviously been having some health struggles in her personal life. And like, regardless of that, though, or whatever, in spite of it, she's it's such a great performance that, again, kind of like the Ali Wong thing, it's like a different, darker side of Christina Applegate than we've seen in in the past. And yeah, I, I would I would like her to to at least get the recognition of a nomination. Um, I'm going to throw out Poker Face. Um, I, oh, yeah. We talked about mm-hmm. it at some point on the show, I think. Um, it was such a hit where it felt like a hit for Peacock. Uh, it's so hard to know. And I find myself in this weird position of rooting for Peacock. Like, I want there to be more competition in streamers. I think it is having a little bit of a moment. And I would really like for that to carry through, both because the show is really great and I, you know, want Peacock to be a real contender there. Um, I think Natasha Leone is great on it. I love the, like, the writing and the return of the procedural vibe behind it. It's it's a beautifully made show. I feel like it could really compete in a lot of um, comedy categories. You know, I don't know if it's going to go, like, take... Give Abbott and Ted Lasso a run for their money, but I think it deserves to be in the mix. Yeah. I would also say, I mean, I, embarrassingly, these conversations are hard for me because a lot of the recreational TV watching I do is reality. Um, just because so that's... So give us the, the reality yeah. right now, then. <laughs> well, I prefer the British version, but which is how I preface everything these days when I'm talking about reality <laughs> TV. Although, unless it's Survivor, now I can say I prefer the Australian version. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, the the traders was this really fun breakout show, kind oh, of yeah. like that game mafia. You would play at a part a theater party or whatever, like, but like in maximalist form. And the American version is takes place in the same castle as the one the British version. It's hosted by Alan Cumming in the American version. I don't like him as much as the British host, but whatever. Um, it's a fun show. It seemed to be a zeitgeisty hit for Peacock. Speaking of. Um, so it would be fun to see Alan Cumming getting in the mix with like a Padma Lakshmi or RuPaul or any of the other, you know, competition show hosts who get nominated every year. I feel like Alan Cumming leading into a, like a, uh, I mean, he's been the MC on Broadway for decades, like becoming an MC on reality TV is like such a natural fit. Like I'd be happy <laughs> to see him showing up, like bring back Hollywood Squares so Alan Cumming can be on one of the squares. Is Hollywood Squares actually on? I feel like it might be. I think it might be. Like, hasn't Whoopi Goldberg been on Hollywood Squares for like oh, yeah, 10 yeah. years? 
Well, that does it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week. We'll have more movies to talk about. It's a it's a fun and vibrant spring uh, of movie releases, which is always a good thing. Um, and, of course, more television as Emmy season continues. Um, find us at VanityFair.com, uh, where you can read David's excellent rundown of Emmy season, his uh, contribution to this episode, uh, even though he was not with us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. And we're on Twitter on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Right, Laws. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best description of what we're actually basing our predictions on goes to me. The momentum we're imagining in our heads is not... The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. Renee. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K, and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run-Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>